Welcome to WVU's Climate Conversations podcast. These episodes are student projects from the Fall 2019 Honors Book Club under the same title. My name is Katherine Williamson. I'm a teaching professor of physics and astronomy, and this book club was inspired by a TED Talk by climate scientist Katherine Hayhoe. She says that the most important thing you can do to fight climate change is to talk about it. Therefore, the aim of each Climate Conversation episode is to do just that, to talk about an aspect of climate change and to keep the conversation going. I'm Callie Delator. I go to West Virginia University. I am a pharmacy major, and I took a book club class this semester. Today I'm going to be talking with Jim Probst, who's calling in with us today. Unfortunately, he couldn't be here with us, so he is calling in. But Jim, you can go ahead and introduce yourself if you'd like. Hi, yeah, I'm, my name is Jim Probst, and I am the state coordinator for the organization Citizens Climate Lobby, West Virginia State Coordinator. Thank you. And um, in our class, we have a common idea that the best way to provoke change and raise awareness about climate is to talk about it. So um, my idea was to talk to Jim about ideas and organizations like the Citizens Climate Lobby and the ideas that they have to make changes. So Jim, would you like to introduce the Citizens Climate Lobby? Sure. Let's see. Citizens Climate Lobby at this point is... Oh, I think we're about 12 years old. I kind of forget, but uh, rapidly, uh, constantly growing organization. Um, We have chapters all over the United States. I think we're in every state at this point. We have, at this point, four chapters in West Virginia. Uh, We also have chapters um, all over the world. Um, I think we're in something like 30 other countries at this point. And... um, we exist for the sole purpose of getting uh, a fee passed on the carbon content of all fossil fuels so that uh, because polluters shouldn't be able to admit their pollution into the atmosphere for free. And uh, so <clears throat> we advocate for legislation that will put a fee on the carbon content of fossil fuels with all the monies collected returned to American households in equal shares to offset uh, the increased cost that would result from the fee. And that's the basics of it. But we're a very solutions-based organization and are also very focused on raising awareness and having getting more people to participate in the, our democratic process and doing something about this and people speaking out. And Jim, this is Catherine here. CCL, Citizens Climate Lobby, is bipartisan and nonprofit, is that right? Yes, exactly. Okay. That's awesome. Thank you, you, Jim. Um, So this act that you're talking about is called the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act, correct? Right. And can you tell us, um, you already went over the basics with us, but can you go into a little bit of detail about how this works? Well, basically it would, like I said, it would put a price on carbon content of all fossil fuels being uh, gas and oil, coal, and it would start at $15 a ton, and it would rise up basically $10 per year. Uh, the plan is that until we reach like $100 a ton assessment, there are some provisions for it to rise a little faster if we're not meeting our goals as far as emission reductions. Our goals at this point are a 40% reduction in our emissions in the first 12 years and 90% reduction in our greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. 
and um, so the money would all be put into a fund. None of it would go into the general revenue of, of the United States government, which means that uh, it's called the term for it is revenue neutral, in that it doesn't grow government, and th- and then that money would be administered and returned to American households in equal shares. And it's basically like, let's say you have a household with uh, two adults and two children. Each adult would receive one share of the dividend, and each child would receive one-half share. So that particular family would be eligible for basically three shares. And um, so like I said, as the idea is that um, anything that uses fossil fuels, if it's fossil fuels are used to transport it, or fossil fuels are used in the manufacture of a good, those things are going to become more expensive. And so what it's going to do is incentivize people to turn towards uh, more renewable ways of making energy and making products. And those goods that don't use fossil fuels will become more competitive in the marketplace, and we will gradually, well, we hope rapidly... (laughs) Uh, transform our energy mix to uh, a more renewable way of making energy. Thank and I'm you. sure I left out something, but that's kind of an overview. Okay, thank you. So how will something like this, as we're trying to steer away from coal and fossil fuels, how will this affect places like West Virginia where we have a lot of jobs in the coal industry, and what other kind of job opportunities can we get for them to get new jobs? That's a great question and a hard question. There have been some studies done that look at the effect that this will have. One of them is called a household impact study. And it does show that West Virginia households actually come out ahead, that actually they receive more in the form of the dividend than what they would pay out in increased costs. But the problem is that there will be a lot of job losses. And the coal industry in particular is going to be hit especially hard because coal has the highest carbon content of any of the fossil fuels by double, twice as much as any of the other fossil fuels. And so um, one study that we had done, the Remy Report, basically says that the coal industry would for all intents and purposes, cease to exist within 10 years of our policy. And so uh, those of us that live in coal states like West Virginia and some of the other coal states have come up with our own sort of amendment that we are hoping to see added to the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act that would return 1% of the revenues collected uh, and have it be particularly targeted to coal miners and coal communities. And the thing is, is that just 1% of this program is a lot of money. Um, The predictions are that over the first 10 years of uh, the Energy Innovation Carbon Dividend Act would raise somewhere in the vicinity of $3 trillion. And so just carving out 1% of those monies collected could potentially return $25 billion to coal states and coal communities. Um, and our proposal advocates for $12 billion of that 
for coal worker uh, assistance and another $13 billion for coal communities to help them replace lost severance taxes and other uh, lost revenue associated with uh, the downturn in the coal industry. And I have a rather long answer here. I hope that's all right. Um, you know, the coal industry is declining fairly rapidly anyway, and really uh, nobody has come up with a way to, to really uh, deal with how rapidly coal is declining. And so I, I think we actually have a proposal that would more adequately address this than anything else that's out there right now. But there are people that are also working on some other approaches. Uh, right now, um, there are plans to introduce into the West Virginia legislature in the next session a bill that would call for siting utility-scale solar on abandoned mine lands, and which is would be one example of how you could uh, possibly employ uh, miners that have lost work in the mines, because this would require site preparation to build these facilities. Um, there would be some jobs associated with maintaining them, but then the third part of all this is that there are a lot of businesses, uh, Fortune 500 companies that have uh, stated that if they're going to build a new facility uh, somewhere that they want to be able to access 100% renewable energy. So right now, if you're trying to attract a company like Amazon or Google or somebody like that to West Virginia, they're not going to come here because we can't provide them with that. We can't say, oh, yeah, we'll give you 100% renewable energy. So, Are you talking about you know, the Modern building? Jobs Act? Yes. Yeah. We're, we're actually going to have Evan Hansen on another episode. So we'll, oh, good. Yeah, we'll so get a chance to learn that. a lot more. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And then, you know, there is some other legislation that uh, CCL is actually supporting and been involved with. I've been involved with personally. There's the Reclaim Act. They would take some money out of the abandoned mine lands fund and return it to coal communities for um, both reclamation projects, but also reclamation projects that would be tied to long-term economic development and job creation. So, you know, I'm not sure anybody knows exactly what the nature of the jobs are going to be, but I think we just need to provide for the conditions <laughs> where people are going to want to you know, either grow businesses or develop businesses. But, um, you know, just hoping that coal is going to come back is is just not happening and it's not going to happen. So, Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I think having an extra percentage of the money being made going back to people in the coal industry is a really good way to try to get them on board as well. But while we're on the topic of jobs, um, although the coal industry may take a hit and lose several jobs. I know that this act will also make a lot of more jobs for other people. So can you tell us a little bit about other opportunities? You know, we, we do hope to see opportunities in, in renewable energy, for example, wind and solar. Um, I think another area that people tend to overlook is that energy efficiency is often considered the third form of renewable energy, and or at least sustainable energy. And there are a lot of high-tech jobs related to um, energy efficiency these days with these systems, smart buildings, um, where, you know, they 
adjust their temperature and their lighting and all these kinds of things with systems that require you know, advanced knowledge to be able to install and maintain them. So I think there's going to be a lot of jobs created there. Um, people are going to want to make their homes and businesses more energy efficient because they're, initially their cost of energy is going to go up. And so they're going to take their dividend check and say, well, you know, I can make my home more energy efficient. I can replace my windows. I can put in better insulation, put solar panels on my roof. So all those things are going to create jobs. And the studies that I have seen are that a lot of the jobs in West Virginia are going to be related in uh, health care and retail. And some of that doesn't excite me very much. Retail is not necessarily a great job necessarily, but healthcare, I think that part of the prediction is that people are going to have more money in their pockets and are going to be able to spend more on their, on their health care. Thank you. So I know we talked about this a little bit in the beginning when we first introduced this, but how greatly and how quickly will this reduce the carbon emissions yearly? Well, yeah, the prediction is is 40% within 12 years and and a 90% reduction by 2050. That's great. Where do we go with this bill next? Is it currently being discussed among Congress, and how long could this potentially take to actually get passed and be in action? Well, right now we have something like 73 co-sponsors in the House of Representatives. I think if it was brought to the floor in the House, there's a very good chance that it could pass. It hasn't been introduced yet into the Senate. Uh, I keep being told that we're anticipating someone introducing it in the Senate. I really don't know exactly where that's at at this point. There is renewed, or there is interest in the Senate in doing something. And I'm anxious to find out what that's going to, what it's going to be. Um, the reality is that everybody pretty much says that we really don't see the possibility of something passing both houses and getting signed by a president until 2021. And I, <laughs> I like to think that if we passed something that included um, support for coal miners and coal communities that the current occupant um, in the White House who has expressed support for coal miners might consider passing it, but I'm, you know, I I think that's maybe a little bit overly optimistic. I'm trying to be as politically correct as I can. (laughs) So can you tell us how someone could get involved with the Citizens Climate Lobby if they are interested or how they can get more information? Well, the one way is to go to our website, citizensclimatelobby.org, and register for what's known as our weekly phone calls, informational phone calls every Wednesday night. And that's how I got started. I, you, When you register for the call, you have to give them your contact information. And so then the call, when I did it, it was about an hour long. I don't know if it, it's still an hour. But um, uh, generally, somebody follows up afterwards. And, um, for example, they send me, every time somebody calls, they send me 
a notice that somebody from Morgantown or somebody from Huntington has called in, and they take that as expressed interest, and then somebody will follow up and you know, hopefully there's a chapter near them that if they're interested that they can get involved and start uh, being involved with the local chapter. When I did, when I called in, I called in fall of 2013, and this woman started calling me, Ellie Sparks. She's the national director of development for the organization, and she started calling me because at the time they didn't have any members in West Virginia, and so they were just really intent upon getting uh, something going in West Virginia. So she started calling me and sort of like egging me on, like <laughs> she wanted me to come to a conference and wanted to know if I was able to be spontaneous and just an up and come to a conference. And She was kind of challenging me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I drove all the way to Atlanta for a conference and, and, uh, and got to meet all of the, at the time, this conference was so small this, I know this really wasn't your question, but you, uh, you kind of got me on my own beginnings here. Uh, anyway, the conference was so small, there were, there were like 40 people there. And it was just great because uh, all the leadership was there. And so I got to meet executive director of the organization and our vice president of political affairs and, and our media director and, and just all these people. And so, you know, I've been on a first-name basis with all the leadership of CCL ever since, and and it just really inspired me and got me involved. So anyway, that's it. You know, call in, find out where the local chapter is, and uh, I know all of the chapters just love to see new people, and that's sort of how you get going. Thank you. And there is a CCL chapter in Morgantown that meets once monthly, correct? Right. Most chapters do meet once a month. We have a national call, a uh, Zoom call, every uh, second Saturday of every month, and it starts at 1 o'clock. And so some chapters, for example, the chapter in Charleston, which is the one that I usually go to, we meet at noon and we talk about local um, business and things, whatever we've got going on, and then we sign into the national call at, at 1 and it usually lasts uh, about 35 minutes, and there's always a guest speaker. And some of the guest speakers have just been wonderful. They're often very good, but we've had uh, a number of nationally known climate authors, and um, Catherine Hayhoe is one that comes to mind, Jim Hansen, um, just a real array of notable people. And... Um, so we'll listen to the speaker, and then sometimes that will evoke conversation. And then that's also available for groups to watch later uh, recorded, if they so choose. Our whole book club, Climate Conversations, and this whole podcast is inspired by Catherine Hayhoe's TED Talk. Oh, yeah? Yep. <laughs> that the most important thing you can do to fight climate change is to talk about it. I'm a huge fan of <laughs> Catherine Hayhoe. I've heard her speak twice. I think she's, she's very inspiring. And funny, and I just I have yeah I have a lot of respect for her. I'm wondering if we can get another segment, just kind of how you got your passion and like how you like why you care and kind of your story, just just a little bit. I, I've heard you speak about like your grandchildren and just wanting to leave a better world. So I don't know if you just mind saying a few words about that. Uh, I know you have heard this more than once, but I did get involved because I mean, all right, so 
let's see if I can do a quick timeline. It, it's just like, I don't know how many years ago at this point, but, you know, this has been in the news for a while. And I'd see news items, and I'd just be like, I wouldn't even read all the news articles. It was just like, God, this is terrible. It really scares me, and and what are we doing about it? And But I tried to ignore it. And then at this point, it's been nine years ago now, my first grandchild came into the world, and that just really, really woke me up. It's just like, you know, people my age, we've had our whole lives the advantage of burning of fossil fuels and haven't considered what they're doing to the planet and what kind of a world we're leaving behind. And I just, the more I thought about it, the more I couldn't stand the thought of participating in what we were leaving behind. I couldn't stand the thought of my grandkids someday going, my parents and grandparents knew about this and why weren't they doing something? And so I just decided I had to do I had to do something. I had to find a way to get involved. And my first step in getting involved was uh, Al Gore has an organization that he founded, uh, Climate Reality, and he trains you to give his PowerPoint presentation as uh, is seen in, in Inconvenient Truth. And I went to Chicago and spent a weekend with that organization, was personally trained by Al Gore and uh, came back to West Virginia and tried to find venues to give his PowerPoint presentation, which is really long. It's like an hour and a half long, and had a really hard time with that and finding places. And then so a friend of mine turned me on to Citizens Climate Lobby, and uh, like I said, I went to Atlanta to a conference, and I just really, really love the organization. I love the people involved with it. I love their methodology. I love their positive spin on things. And they, one of our mottos is, is, I always get this wrong, but it's helping the people realize their basically political strength. And, and you know, being, we all, we all can participate in our democracy and, and, and going to D.C. with Citizens Climate Lobby to lobby and, and talk to our members of uh, Congress um, has just really been an eye-opener to me. I, 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 I like being involved in that. And um, I at least, it, for me, I, I guess the best way to sum it up is that that despair I felt about what we're doing to the planet, is, this is how I'm able to ameliorate that despair. This is how I'm able to deal with it and cope with it, to at least feel like there is a, a large number of us working to do something about it and that hopefully we will be able to do something about it, but at least we're not just sitting back and, and not doing anything and, and trying to ignore it. So Yeah, that reminds me of a quote that was featured in one of the books we read, Renewable by Eileen Flanagan. It's a quote from The Great Law of the Iroquois, and it says, In every deliberation, we must consider the impact on the seventh generation even if it requires wow. ha- having skin as thick as the bark of a pine. And, that, you know, your commitment to your grandchildren just makes me think about that of, you know, your grandchildren's grandchildren and the seventh generation. Um, if we think that far ahead, you know, what decisions would we make? Well, we did this exercise where we, uh, we had to go back and uh, we had to look at what we would say to ourselves, you know, if we were like so many generations down the road to our, our current selves, you know, it's like, and hopefully we would be thanking our current selves. Thank you for what you did. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that there would be 
seven generations down the road, somebody to thank their ancestor, well, that that's pretty hopeful. Mm-hmm. The other one I like, I know I'm getting off, but it's uh, a society grows strong where old men plant trees that they'll never sit in the shade of. Mm, I like that, too. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about kind of a tree guy. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you said anywhere in the podcast that you're a furniture maker. Well, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, that's where I'm sitting right now is in my wood shop. And, um, you know, I'm retired. I, I semi-retired three years ago and built myself a, what I've called my retirement shop, but I, I was hoping to spend my retirement years enjoying what I've learned all these years about building furniture. I've been a furniture maker for uh, going on 40 years now, and, and I've learned a lot and gotten fairly good at it. And would really like to be, <clears throat> I'd like to solve this problem so I can go back to building furniture, basically. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's what I, that's what, I mean, and that's the other part of all this, I guess, is part of my story, is that getting involved with the Climate Lobby, you know, I do all these things, like I go out and I had 75 meetings with uh, congressional offices and members of Congress, and and I do public speaking, and, and I do recruitment, and I do organizing, and I never would have seen myself doing any of these things. You know, I worked, like I said, going on 40 years in a wood shop with a couple other guys with a lot of machines running and noise, and we hardly talked. And and uh, so I didn't exactly develop what skills I do have until I got involved with CCL. So it, I really realized a lot of growth in that area, being involved with CCL. That's a great point. Okay, I guess we should wrap up, but I think was it... Was that what you were hoping for? Was that, yes. was that all right? Yes, okay. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, it was what do you think, Kelly? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, you had good questions. <laughs> to kind of wrap up our thoughts here, I wanted to do this topic because all of our books in our book club have been very scientific and very big picture. So I wanted to talk uh-huh. about something a little more practical, like something like this, to get people to see what's going on in the world and how they can help to make a difference. So thank you for calling in with us today and talking with us about the Citizens Climate Lobby and the Act. The Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, for uh, having me. I appreciate great. being asked. It's great to have you. All, All right. right. Well, have a good day in your wood shop. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you.